Good morning. It is good to be with you all in the house of the Lord. When uh, I went through puberty at the late age of uh, just about 16, being from New Jersey, I already spoke pretty fast, and when my voice changed, my mother said that it was too low and too fast, and I had to fix both about 350 times by the time I graduated high school. So if any of you find me too quiet this morning, just give me a thumbs up sign, but we are pressed for time, so I'm not going to make no promises for speed. I like to look at a most important matter, and I love that song, How Firm a Foundation. It is, it's actually the first song that my wife and I memorized together. We memorized it while going out to the uh, birth classes for our first child, those ten and a half years ago. We were blessed just a few weeks ago to have her uh, baptized up at Southampton. It's a matter which gave us great joy and a great many memories. But one of those memories, one of those saddest of memories, is one that was referenced in many of the songs today, but is ignored too often in much of today's teaching and much of the way that people look at themselves. We must remember even all the way back to the beginning when the enemy said not just that, did God really say that? But also, you can be as God. We live in a world where everyone says that the solution is in yourself, the solution for all you're looking for. I remember the first time that the gospel was preached to me, it was in the presence of friends of mine, and we were doing, um, well, we were living in a life that was not good, and a friend uh, of mine had come over to share the gospel with us, and they were saying, there's got to be many ways to heaven, there's got to be many ways to heaven. Now he answered, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. None can come to the Father but through me, but in so saying... He answered a question that really told the truth about what people really, really believe. For why would you need to have a way to heaven were it not for our separation from it now? Sin. Sin is all but a curse word nowadays. It's a word that's used entirely too often. Entirely too often, maybe even in Christian circles. It is the thing that puts that gulf of separation between us and God. God's feelings on sin are very serious. They are no small matter. Every one of the songs we sang today had either a reference to sin or a reference to our company with God that brought back together the people who were separated from him by sin to him who is sinless. In the book of Malachi, which if you're looking for some homework for this afternoon as you continue your day of rest in God, I would recommend reading that book because it is very full, very rich, and finishes on the most promising of notes just before the New Testament as your Bible is organized. But the first chapter says, the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. Now a lot of times when you talk about and you hear about the word of God, you don't necessarily think of it as a burden. But there are many heavy things in the word of God. And the heaviest of all was our sin being laid upon our Savior that we might live. Our sin being laid upon our Savior that we might live. But what does God think, and what are his sentiments towards sin? It says, I have loved you, saith the Lord. Yet ye say, Wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother? Then the Lord said, Yet I loved Jacob. And I hated Esau, and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Whereas Edom said, We are impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, They shall build, but I will throw down. And they shall call them the border of wickedness, and the people against whom the Lord hath indignation forever. And your eyes shall see, and ye shall say, The Lord will be magnified from the border of Israel. A son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. 
If I then be a father, where is mine honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? Saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priests that despise my name. And ye say, Wherein have we despised thy name? Ye offer polluted bread upon mine altar, and say, Whereon have we polluted thee? In that ye say, The table of the Lord is contemptible. And if ye offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? If ye offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee? Or accept thy person? Saith the Lord of hosts. And now I pray you, beseech God that he will be gracious unto us. This hath been by your means. Will he regard your person? Saith the Lord of hosts. Who is there even among you that will shut the doors for naught? Neither do ye kindle a fire on mine altar for naught. I have no pleasure in you, saith the Lord of hosts. Neither will I accept an offering at your hand. For from the rising of the sun, even to the going down of the of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles, and in every place incense shall be offered unto my name, and a pure offering, for my name shall be great among the heathen, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye have profaned it, in that ye say the table of the Lord is polluted, and the fruit thereof, even his meat, is contemptible. Ye also said, Behold, what a weariness is it. Ye have snuffed at it, saith the Lord of hosts, and ye have brought that which was torn, and the lame, and the sick, thus ye brought an offering. Should I accept this of your hand, saith the Lord? But cursed be the deceiver, which hath in his flock a male, and voweth, and sacrificeth unto the Lord a corrupt thing. For I am the great king, saith the Lord of hosts, and my name is dreadful among the heathen. The word of God. Now if you remember, again back to the garden, and shortly thereafter, the first murder that happened, happened as a byproduct of Cain not being able to deal with the rebuke of God for his sin of giving an inadequate sacrifice giving an inadequate sacrifice. There is an inadequate sacrifice that all men have given. It says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Beloved, you are part of the creation. And as you look out at the stars at night, as you enjoy the sunsets, as you look at the lovely flowers and enjoy the taste of the most perfect fruits, as you are a part of this creation and you see the way that God is glorified in creation, we should be abashed that we, the capstone of creation made in the image of God, do not glorify him at all times. What Cain did by giving God the lesser of his fruits was to say that God was not worthy of the best of all things. But that is not true. We sing joyful, joyful. And in that song, it talks about God as God being the center of all creation, sharing back his glory to him. For we are created by him. And what glory do we have that was not given to us first by our creator? But what can you do about it? You are found dead in sin. Dead, blind, lame, and absolutely useless. In Romans, however, God elected to make a change. A change that would alter all of history. Indeed, it was altered before all of history. But what was the source of this change? We are here today because we trust that this sin that separated us from God, by which, again, all men have fallen short of the glory of God, of, of which accusation even the stars can't be accused. But God, who is rich in mercy towards us, it says that, but God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Beloved, while we yet were a repugnant smell, not a worthy sacrifice, while we were less than even the very wildflowers that we step on with our feet and run over with our lawnmowers, we were less than those when it came to properly shining back the glory of God. God, while we were yet in sin, died for us. More than that, it says, much more than 
being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Now you heard the tone of Malachi. Malachi is a book that ends with the promises talking about the coming of John the Baptist. It talks about the turning again of the fathers towards the sons and the sons towards the fathers. It talks about the stitching back together of the brokenness of sin, the wrongness that happened to his creation, to all of his things being fixed. But it does not start and mince words. It does not start being partial. But when did he make this change? When was it that he elected to alter our state, we who were completely dead in sin? It says in Ephesians, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him, and again, in love wherein that he loved us, he, before the beginning of all things, elected to save us. Now when you consider just how repugnant and evil that sin is, it gives us a better idea of how wonderful the love of God has been shed towards us is. If we shy away from the evils of sin, if we refuse to read and understand exactly what God views sin as, it lessens your understanding of how great Adidas was. And even more so, how great Adidas was that in his love for us, that he would have put that sin not just away from him, which he did, but even on himself, that he would bear this thing which was anti-God, which was opposite him for our sake. And then in so doing, not just bear the death that we deserved, but then, as he is alive, we now live. What a wonderful thing and a hopeful thing. And why did he do this? Again, it says later in Ephesians, it says, God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together. With Christ, by grace, ye are saved. Together with Christ, even when we were dead in sins, his richness in mercy. You even heard in that passage in Malachi the urging that we should desire God's grace towards us again. Even this rightly wrathful God towards a rebellious creation has, even in the midst of his condemnation, urged us to desire his mercy. Because his mercy endureth forever. But what have we done about it? What did we do to affect this? What did we do to make this more adequate? In what way might we be able to praise ourselves? When talking about the Jews and the things that they had, and again, Malachi was written to them, but we should remember that, as the scripture says, these things happened unto them for our sakes, that we might see examples of those who were built with the same blood, who heard the same word who in many ways have been given many of the same blessings and yet reacted exactly the same as Cain, as Adam and Eve. For the sin that was there in the beginning exists to this very day. It says, what then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have been, we have before proved, both Jew and Gentiles, that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. A single prophet rising up in this generation and saying that it is in you to find right is speaking directly contrary to the spoken word of God. Both Old Covenant and New Covenant this saying is in. This is not something that is hidden away somewhere and put in a corner, but this is the word of God declared unto all generations. And there is none that we can do absolutely nothing about it. And so indeed, as we look around and as we see that the Lord has been good to us, and we might desire 
and say, what can we do? What can we do? We see, even as the Israelites did when they saw Jesus coming, and as you could see by the evidences in the Gospel of John, that God had begun to work both behind the scenes in the hearts of those that he was coming to and right in front of them in his teaching, and also both sides revealing the work of the Father, as even the Father had spoken audibly from heaven. The people asked Jesus a question. They said, then say unto him, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? What can we do to take part in what God is doing on the earth? And Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he has sent. And one of the mysteries of God's creation, and moreover of God's salvation, is that he would elect to save us through belief. He could have saved us through anything. He could have said there's a singular mountain that you must climb once in your life. That might be trouble when you're either extremely young or extremely old, but at some point you might take in hand to have done this one thing that God said to do. He could have said anything. He could have set the bar anywhere. And he made it this one thing, which is impossible to manufacture. It is impossible to create belief in yourself right. for God. Because you are dead in sin. That's right. For if you had believed him, you never had sinned. And that sin, which did separate us, made it, again, doubly impossible to believe. So Jesus here reveals that this is not the work that we will take part in. We have much work to do, though. But we are not in any way connected to the belief that we have with God. That's right. And yet it says, you hear it often today. I remember the movie, The Labyrinth. I don't recommend the movie, but I remember there's this particular stream that goes through it. I saw it when I was about 19 or so. And it's this girl who has these strange things keep happening to her. She'd always been carried away in fantasy stories and something along the lines of one of her favorite stories happens to her. And her brother gets kidnapped and all these strange rules come up and she keeps saying again and again, that's not fair. That's not fair. And every time you hear people react this way, you shouldn't be surprised. That is not fair, is it? Or at least it doesn't seem so. Indeed, that's not fair. It's nothing but a petulant cry of a child. But the fact is that it is, by our definitions, not fair. But by God's definition, it is just. It is just. We say fair when we're trying to imply justice, but we mean something else, right? We mean, it's not how I want it. No, it's not how I want it. The way that God is saved is not indeed after our methods, after our ways of doing things. In Romans later it says, It is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even to the same purpose, have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. And that wasn't God working in his heart to make him believe, was it? You all remember the story. He made him stubborn. He made him hard of heart. Therefore, hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will, he hardeneth. He will do whatsoever he will. God is going to do whatever he wants with his things. Indeed, if you have uh, whittled the bird, um, a, a nice beautiful duck, if you had taken on that and you painted it and you finished it, and you decided to take it out back and destroy it, it's yours. If you want to put it on display, it's yours. If the wood had something in the grain you didn't like, and indeed, even the wood itself you had not grown, so maybe the, the analogy starts to fade away, but anything you would have done with that, it is yours to do with what you will. It is your creation. Scripture goes on and says, Wilt thou say then unto me, why doth he yet find fault? I mean, if this is how God is operating, why is he finding anyone sinning? If no one can believe in him, then why would he, you know, who, who is he to even say that? I mean, why would God even do this? It's like he's setting us up for failure. This is the question that Paul is raising, because he knows this is a natural reply of the heart of man. And he says, for who hath resisted his will? Have you? Has anyone resisted the will of God ever? It's a dangerous thing to consider because then you have to recognize that those private thoughts that you thought were private are entirely 
not just exposed to him, but under his control. That he can harden your heart, he can soften your heart. Have you ever gotten into a fight and afterward you said, why was I so stubborn? Now imagine having your heart that hard all the time because God elected to harden. Or imagine having that be impossible because God has replaced your heart and softened it and continues to move in your life. Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel of honor and another unto dishonor? I'm in the plumbing supply business, and so I know the same china that can be used for your plates in your kitchen is also used for your toilet. This analogy still holds true today, doesn't it? But what is our part? My part is to wrap up very quickly. But what is our part? In Romans 15, actually, let's take a look at Galatians first. In Galatians chapter 6, It says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. Beloved, if there is any case the Bible makes about us and our ability to have any part in goodness, in love, in mercy, in righteousness, it is that we are nothing, but that we don't hold nothing. Right? If God has worked in you, you now have the Spirit of God working in you, the source of all these good things. And so it says, Let every man prove his own work, and then she shall have rejoicing in himself alone, not in another, for every man shall bear his own burden. So here you're called to bear your own burden, to do your own work all the way, and then, in the spirit of meekness, to bear one another's burdens. This thing which, in the rightness, and the right way of God, was impossible before. It continues in Romans 15, along the same lines and in the same thread. It says, We that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. Indeed, those that have been blessed with strength, with wealth, with ability, with talent, you've been given those things for a specific purpose. It is not just to enrich ourselves and spend the end of our days collecting seashells somewhere on the seashore. It is not just to spend our days in idleness. We're not given strength to look at the poor and say, I don't know why they don't figure it out. It is to share and to rightly bear the infirmities of those that are weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor, for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. One of the other things that are in the Gospel of John, in almost everything that happens, every time Jesus is challenged, he says, I don't come to do my own work. I come to do the Father's work. I don't speak my own words. I speak the words that the Father put in my mouth. Those I give to you. He is a faithful servant. And that was the thing, beloved, which was impossible while you were in sin. You could not work the works of God and therefore glorify him because you were dead in sin. You didn't even know what it was that God would have you do. But here he makes it very clear that Christ himself came and did not and was reproached by the reproaches that fell on the Father. It says, but whatsoever things are written aforetime were written for our learning that we might through patience and comfort of the scriptures. We just sang that song, didn't we? The comfort of the scriptures. How firm a foundation, he's saying to the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. Comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded, one toward another, according to Christ Jesus. Why? What is this purpose of us serving one another? That ye may, with one mind and with one mouth, glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus. We are called to be able to glorify God, once again, by serving one another. Is not God faithful in every age? Has not God continued to have the sun shine and the rains come every year, year after year after year? We have not known years of famine here like it's described in the Bible, like it's been described throughout history. 
And even if he did that, it would be his own pleasure. But he has continued to be faithful. Even today, he works. The only time he ever took a day off was to give you an example. But now here, even today, the plants continue to grow, don't they? These things don't happen by accident. We observe the effects of God giving the increase, but it says God gives the increase. And he tells us that about the things that live out there to talk more perfectly about the things in here. How that when we come and we share the word, and we sometimes are those who give seeds and sometimes those who water, how that God continues to give the increase to all of us from a source of life that continues to serve us. And that is the example that we have. That is the example that we are unable to do properly without God working in our hearts, that we are able once again to serve one another. But more than that, we are also called to run. It says, Wherefore, seeing as we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy which was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. There is no higher place in heaven to go than where Jesus ended up, at the very right hand of God. And he did so by obeying the Father, even unto his death even unto reproach throughout all of his days on the earth, a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief, now lords over all. That is the example for us. And again, in, uh, just a little bit later, that was in uh, Hebrews, it says, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. That is the one thing, beloved, that we were not able to do properly. We sing the song, Count Your Blessings. That is a reminder for those dark times, for those times of pouting and not, get what we want, not getting what we want, even as children. That is the nature of man and mankind and how we have always been. But this is a thing which you can do, which you were unable, and it was impossible for you to do before. Psalm 136. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. It is he who saved you. It says it again. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for his mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. Unto the Lord of lords, for his mercy endureth forever. Beloved, you have no reason to believe in God in heaven, were it not for his mercy continuing. And this cyclical way of his mercy, not just giving his mercy, but making it possible for you to see it, hear it, enjoy it, taste it, and to be able to share it communally, and then to be given work that is sufficient for your souls. This, beloved, is the reason why we are able once again to glorify his name, and I would implore you to make that a call and desire of your life. Thank you for your good attention. I enjoyed looking back at some of the original writings of this church. This record of the church, this is the newer one, the new book that was written for Old Harford Old School Baptist Church. And this one is dated 1923. This is the the newer book. This one is the second book, the, the oldest one that we have access to. And this book was written in 1803. 1803. It says that the cover of this book is made out of deer skin and the book itself was handmade. 1803. It references the original book that the church had when it was started. One reference says 1754. Another one says 1734. Interestingly, the church in the beginning, the first two pastors of this church 
each pastored over 50 years. The first one pastored 53, the second one 56. It said when it was written up as the obituary of the second preacher that when he died, he was the, as far as they knew, the oldest preacher in Harford County at that time. In fact, Sister Peggy, Sister Caroline, Sister Janet, be interesting for you to know that the first pastor was Elder John Davis, your dad's name. So I'm going to read about the early days of this church. I believe that we are standing on hallowed ground. When the Speaker of the House, Sam Rayburn, who was a friend of Elder Compton, he was from Texas and he grew up going to a little church in Tioga, Texas. And when he became older, as Speaker of the House, Elder Compton would tell this story. And he said, at the time, he was the second most powerful man in the nation. And God stirred his heart while he was filling this role in Washington, D.C. And he traveled back to the little town and the little church that he grew up in. And it said that he wanted to seek baptism. And he took his shoes off at the door of the church. And as he stepped in this little clapboard white building in Tioga, Texas, he said, this is holy ground. Sometimes I get a little bit discouraged that maybe the church is not still meeting on a regular basis and still active. And then I'm reminded when I read about the history of the church that it's referred to by some of the writers and historians as being the mother church of many churches of Old Baptist in this part of the country. That right here is one of the areas that that it started and that the gospel was proclaimed for many years. In fact, one of the references that one of the writers said that this church, Old Harford Church, was established before Harford County was established. The county that it's in right now. I want to read to you some of the writings of the church. It's a little bit hard. It's written in beautiful uh, calligraphy, and, 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 or it's, it's, it's absolutely beautiful, but a little bit hard for me to read, so I may miss a, a few words, but I want to read to you about the early days, or we're, we're starting at 1803. So let your mind travel back for just a minute about what it must have been like in 200 years ago, 200 plus years ago. You probably were here and there were families. In fact, in the year 1803, within a couple of years there, interestingly, there were 237 people that attended this worship. Their names are written down here. They signed their names to the articles of faith, to the decorum, to what they believed. And it said that at, the, at this stage that 
then folks begin to unite together and go to different areas and form additional churches out of this group. One was in Gunpowder Falls and several other places that were referenced around. But I'll read it and I, I could have, I believe, gone before Brother John and shared this because what Brother John brought forth is the very doctrine that was emphasized right here in 1803 and they felt like it was necessary to reference it again since the church had been constituted many years before and put it down in print. The original minute books have been either destroyed or one person said uh, it was thought to be burned up in a fire. So these folks are referencing what they believed when the church was constituted in 1734. The church of Jesus Christ, it says, in the state of Maryland, was, uh, in Harford County, in the state of Maryland, was constituted, this reference says, the first day of November in the year of our Lord, 1754. Then under the pastoral care of Elder John Davis, it says, who still is presiding over, over her. It says, but through some cause unknown, the church book has become so defaced that the true state of the said church from time to time since her constitution up to this date cannot be known. And as the God of Zion, and this is where they're referencing this special time that happened for this church. And as the God of Zion hath been graciously pleased of late to revive His work within the bounds that this church, so that considerable numbers have been added to those that still remain of her former numbers. It talks about through different times that the church would go through different periods. There were times that the church would decline. And then there were other times that the church would prosper and that there were numbers, great numbers that would go. And I like how that they worded this right here. That as the God of Zion hath been graciously pleased of late to revive His work within the bounds of this church. And that truly ought to be the prayer that we have. That the God of Zion would revive the work within the bounds of Mount Carmel, within the bounds of Old Brick Church, within the bounds of Southampton, the other areas that God has been pleased to have a testimony to proclaim, that God would revive the work. It says in Acts chapter 2, a wonderful account of uh, the experience of the Holy Spirit of God blessing in the early days of the church. And it simply says, and God added to the church. And that's the one that we ought to look to for the Lord to build up Zion. As we continue to read the accounts here, it's amazing to see how that God in 1803 poured out His blessings and the church began to grow and prosper. And, and it was revived to the point of 237 names. I, I went through and counted them last night. 
and, and looked at the dates. It was incredible to see the names of the individuals. And one more thing that I noticed that was, that was special to note. I remember visiting up in upstate New York and one of the elderly sisters that, that uh, was a member of one of the churches in, in Roxbury, New York, and the church had ceased meeting and she was way up in years. She said, when I was a young lady, she said, growing up when I was a little child, she said, we would have in our home, our dad would, uh, would invite the church folks over and we would have what's called a covenant meeting in our home. And we would, uh, we would meet the day before, if church was on the first Sunday, we'd meet the Friday or Saturday before in our homes. And she said, the covenant meetings consisted of this. We'd have hymn singings. And then we would begin to talk about how that God had blessed us in our life. One thing that is apparent in these records that we'll read right here is that the individuals were delighted to share their experience of the grace of Almighty God. That when they, when they sought a home in the church, they were delighted to share the experience they had. But also, not only that, but throughout their life, they delighted to share that God had blessed them, that God had delivered them, that God had sustained them. And I believe that we've, we've gotten away from some of that. There's so many distractions that we have in the day in which we live that, that it's easy to get distracted and not be thinking about the things of the Lord and the blessings of the Lord and how that God has blessed us. A lot of those distractions they didn't have back then that we have right now. But let your mind travel back a couple of hundred years. If there was 200 plus people that were gathered here, you probably, you wouldn't hear the cars and the motorcycles going down the road, but you'd probably hear the horses over here. You'd probably hear the children. You, you'd probably hear uh, maybe some animals along the way. In fact, there was a season when they would meet here that um, they actually were afraid of intruders coming in and, and stopping and hindering the services and there's the results of it on one of these doors over here on the right side, I believe it is. It's where there's a metal bar and uh, it, there's one reference made to it that a board was, uh, they would slide boards through those bars in order to secure the church from the inside when they were worshiping. We're worshiping here with the windows raised and, and a, a beautiful day, but they would come in and actually uh, secure themselves in the building to be able to worship the Lord. Let's continue on. This is really, really good right here and just want to touch on a few things. I want to emphasize what they believed back then and how that it's exactly what we believe today. We're to ask and seek and look for and pursue the old paths. And then if we find them, we're to walk therein. And as a result, God has said, He's going to bless us with some rest for our souls. Here it says, Be it known, therefore, that we whose names are here unto subscribe do as in the presence of God, profess to believe the truths contained in the following covenant, and to submit to the ordinances of the government of the church therein contained. And that is to say, 
we whose names are hereunto subscribed, being baptized by immersion upon profession of faith, we propose, and here's, says we propose to denounce antinomianism, Arminianism, and all dependence on anything in ourselves or done by ourselves in the matters relating to the peace with God or relating to justification before God or the pardon of sin. Basically, what they said right there is what Brother John preached, that we're depraved and we can't help ourselves. And we're professing by signing this that we believe that the doctrine is that it's by the grace of Almighty God and no other. And we profess that we believe that. It said, uh, but for the free grace of God in Christ, the alone Redeemer is in Romans chapter 3, verse 24, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. Brother John mentioned Ephesians. And that God hath from eternity uh, and according to the good pleasure and counsel of His own will purposed to save a certain number of the fallen posterity of Adam by Jesus Christ according to the riches of His grace. Just simply saying we're saved and it doesn't have anything to do with ourselves but solely with Almighty God. Now, I'm, I'm, uh, uh, I can't get the right word. I'm thankful for this rich heritage and history. And we're to ask for the old paths. But the old paths that we're to ask for should go further back than 1803 or 1734. We should be able to trace these old paths all the way back to the early New Testament church and see that it's exactly the same thing that the Apostle Paul taught in the early days of the church. And you can trace it back, these same principles, all the way back to Acts chapter 2. And it talks about the Apostles' doctrine, and that's what it's referring to right here. It says, according to the riches of His grace and hath fixed the plan of accomplishing the same. Referring to Romans chapter 8, verse 30. Hereby magnifying His sovereign grace and mercy and, uh, and great love in Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. And that He hath... And that that we hope for salvation by grace through faith and that not of yourselves, it being the gift of God. That's what these folks believed in 1803. And they're referring to what they believed in 1734. And that those whose... And, and that those... Whom the Father chose in Christ and gave unto Him 
and were redeemed by Him shall, this is great news, shall never perish. Isn't that great? Isn't it great to know that our forefathers believed that you can't fall from grace? You're saved by grace and you're kept by grace. But that they shall be kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. We understand that that power and that faith is of God. Brother John brought that out. We believe that all mankind fell from the Creator. Uh, no, we believe that all mankind fell from created innocence and in and by Adam's first sin and became by nature the children of wrath. He references 1 Corinthians 15, Romans 5, and Ephesians 2. And this is real good. And have neither the will nor the ability to do any good without spiritual renewing grace of God. Just simply says, we don't desire to do good, we don't have the ability to do good, we can't do good aside from the grace of Almighty God. That that is the moving force that causes us to do good is God's grace. And that believers in Christ are justified by faith without the deeds of the law, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which Brother John brought out, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It says, which God hath ordained that they should walk in them. So, it says we're not delivered by good works, but we are to walk in good works as a result of what God has done for us. And we believe and own the truths of the articles and principles of religious practices warranted by the Word of God contained in the Confession of Faith and adapted by the Association at Philadelphia in 1742, the Philadelphia Association in 1743. And then it mentions four or five articles of faith. And some church, primitive Baptist churches have five or six or seven or eight or nine or ten, but all of them that I'm aware of have these specific articles right here. Uh, in traveling to one of the historic churches in New York, one of the old Baptist churches, I noticed one article that was in their article of faith that the church had adopted. And that was, it's not in this one specifically, but it was in the one in, uh, in uh, uh, Roxbury, New York, that it, uh, one of the articles was that the parents were to raise the children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And that was one of their articles of faith. I'll read the five that they have right here, the ones that they're referencing right here. But what I was going to say is that no matter where you visit Primitive Baptist, you'll see this same theme of the same articles of faith, no matter where you go. It's been passed down from generation to generation. It's been passed through the baton of, of many generations, through different ministers, through churches that have started up in different areas, and these very principles right here. Here's the five. And they said, we signed our names that we agree to these articles. 
Interesting, the first one that they put right here. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. That's taught in Matthew chapter 6, one of the strong principles. Not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, but constantly attend our public meetings as also our meetings of church business as far as God may enable us. They just simply said that when the church doors are open, we believe we should be there. We should be there as a church body, that it ought to be a priority in our life. And I was thinking about it. We all traveled here today and probably the greatest inconvenience we had was adjusting the air conditioner in the car. We traveled here in ease from no matter where, you, even Brother John, as far as he came, he, he has, you can look, he has a very comfortable vehicle to travel in. Can you imagine what it was like 200 and almost 300 years ago to come to church? They probably didn't live right here around the church building. Many of them probably did, but some of them, it might have taken them a half a day's journey to get to church. And yet it was one of their articles that it's a priority in their life. You know, I'll say that that's something that we're missing in the day in which we live. We ought to be centering our whole week around our, our, our commitment to be able to worship the Lord. And if we're planning our week around church, then we would be at church instead of planning church around our week. So let's look at what he says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves. Number two, to bear each one his part according to his ability in defraying all expenses absolutely necessary for maintaining the worship of God according to the laws of Zion's king. It just simply means that if God's blessed you in any way in your life, if He's blessed you with provisions, if He's blessed you with health, if He's blessed you with abilities, that you put God first in serving God. That's what they're saying, according to the laws of Zion's king. The third one, not to divulge the infirmities of one another or to tell them to such as are not in communion where it can be lawfully avoided. There's probably, there's probably at least... A whole sermon, if not a week's worth of messages in that very point right there. We're living in a strange time on many levels. But we're living in a time that, that people don't regard the information they have at all. We have the ease of our cell phones and our iPads and we have the encouragements of different social media sites that allow access to put information out for, for not just hundreds but thousands of people to see. And what he's saying right here is that if there's something that occurs within the church body that it stays within the church body. Elder Lonnie Mazingo used this example. 
He said, the church that I'm pastoring, and this was in Nashville, Tennessee, he said, the former pastor taught the church body that if you live in a neighborhood and you're having problems in your family, you're taught that you don't go to every neighbor on the block and tell them those problems. And he said, it's the very same thing in the church of Jesus Christ. That if there's folks that have struggles and difficulties and hardships, you deal with it and you work with it through the church of Jesus Christ. But you don't go out and tell everybody else. I believe that's what he's talking about right here. Number four, to bear reproof and to reprove one another in the case of visible faults. Now this is interesting. This is so... This is so interesting what they said right here. Got to be careful right here. Because it's so easy for us to get in the mindset that we can see the faults of everybody else. But we don't see our own. One preacher told me one time, he said, just remember that anytime you're pointing your finger, you've got three others pointing right back at you. We don't see our own faults. We see the faults of others. But if God has put it upon your heart to go and encourage somebody else, here's how you do it. Look what he says. To bear reproof and to reprove one another in case of visible faults. And this is what he says. Here is the criteria for doing it. In Christian charity and in brotherly love as directed by Christ in the Gospels. So what he's just simply saying right here is before you go and try to correct somebody else, consider yourself. And then before you go, you make sure that you're going yourself in the right spirit. Now I'm going to give you a tip right here that I learned from the scriptures that will be a blessing to you. If you feel inclined to go and instruct somebody else in their way, and you're unsure if you're in the right mindset and in the right spirit to do it, that you're not doing it out of vengeance or out of a personal uh, a mission, the very best way that you can get your, your, your mind and your spirit in the right fashion is that you go before the Lord in a period of prayer and fasting. If you engage in prayer and fasting before Almighty God, God will oftentimes show you your own sins before you go to somebody else. Not to say that you don't go to someone else, but you make absolutely sure that you're going in the right spirit before you go to them. I don't know about you, but I'd do more harm than good if I'm not in the right spirit. Look at the, we'll look at the last one right here. It says, it is agreed that none are be to be... Um, okay, it says, it is agreed that none are to be united into our church hereafter, but such as are willing to sign this covenant, and that as far as uh, capable may be avoided and peace... And maintain unity by the blessings of God. For which we pray 
and in testimony which we have set our hand this 24th day of October 1803. I believe what, he, what they're saying right here is that they're making a commitment by signing these rules of decorum, this church covenant, and saying, this means something to us. We're willing to sign that we want to live by these principles. That we believe that, that God has delivered us and saved us solely by His grace. And that it means something to us. And that we realize that we've been delivered by our sins and been given a hope in Christ and a hope in glory. And as a result of that hope, we want to live together with brothers and sisters that, that, that believe the same way, that are, that are pursuing the same course, that have the same challenges. And that as we labor together and we worship together and as we as we journey together, that our fellowship and our communion is to be for the good of one another and for the glory of Almighty God. And they said, we're willing to commit, we're willing to commit our lives to it. Sometimes we get cold or we forget along the way. And we need to be reminded, it says that for years, these folks, that the, that the articles and that the church covenant was read once a year. And that the folks were reminded of the commitment that they'd made, first of all, to God and before one another. And then it starts the 24th day of October, 1803. And... I don't know if you can see it, but it's just one name after another, page after page of names to the tune of about 237 names. It meant something to them. They had been given by God's grace the truth of Jesus Christ, and it meant something to them. It meant enough that they were willing to be at church when they had the opportunity, no matter what the hardships were. They were there. It was special to them. And it ought to be special to us. It should. What a rich history that we have. And what an example of it at this place. And it should remind us when we come here. It says in one of the accounts that this is, if not one of the, it's the oldest church in Harford County. That uh, 1734. You may have know some older ones, but the writers that wrote this, it was their understanding it was the oldest in Harford County. The gospel of Jesus Christ has been proclaimed here for almost 300 years. And I tell you what, I hope and pray... I hope and pray that God will bless and revive Mount Carmel. I hope He will. Sometimes I get a little discouraged because of all this stuff that we've gone through. And then when they say, you know, we're maybe facing this COVID stuff again, I think, I just don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm up to it. And when I look at the challenges, I get a little bit discouraged. 
But then when we see testimonies of a place that for almost 300 years in this area, the gospel has been proclaimed. In fact, Elder Thompson, it says in this first book, the first one you can go back and read. And for about 40 years, Elder Thompson, the pastor of Mount Carmel, came over here once a month and they had an afternoon service for about 40 years. I pray that God's going to bless Mount Carmel, but I pray He's going to revive even this place. I pray He's going to add to Southampton and bless it and Wilmington and Columbia. Brother Harvey, I was was telling, uh, telling... some of the friends this morning that Brother Harvey's from a church that's uh, relatively new compared to this church building. The church that Brother Harvey is from is uh, constituted in 1792, the old Columbia Church. A lot of, lot of rich history at the Columbia Church. I'll finish by reading the verse again that Jeremiah proclaimed. It's interesting what he says right here. Thus saith the Lord, stand ye in the ways, and see, and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? And then he says, and walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. I don't understand all about how God chose and called Jeremiah to preach. Because the message that Jeremiah preached was the message of God, but Jeremiah was going told to go and preach, but a lot of times when he preached the message, folks didn't really appreciate the message that he brought. And he was imprisoned, and he was challenged for preaching that gospel message, and this is what it says, and this is sad to me. It says, and ye shall find rest for your souls, but they said, we will not walk therein. Wow. Then look at what he says. And I set watchmen over you, saying, Hearken unto the sound of the trumpet. But they said, We will not hearken. Jeremiah got discouraged at many times, and he said, Sometimes I feel like I'm set as an arrow for the, 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 the target of the Lord. He said, There's just many hardships that come my way. I believe that it's a great encouragement for us. And when we come to this place, I believe we can see that truly, as far as we can trace back with the history of our country here in the United States, we can travel all the way back to the beginning of this church. And truly, that's the old past. But we can take our Bibles and we can travel all the way back to the Apostles' Doctrine and compare it to what we've been taught right here. And that's truly the old paths. Stand ye in the way, seek, and ask for the old paths, wherein is the good way, and walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. What a blessing.